That really is the question. We can know God's word. We can know the gospel. We can know the truth of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with it? Well, the answer to that, I hope you know, is um, simple. It should be obvious, and that is trust him. Trust Jesus. Depend on him. Believe in his work, in what he, the work that he has accomplished for the cleansing of our sin. We just sang about it. And he is able to accomplish that because he is risen. He is living today. And one day he will return. And that was prophesied. Well, it, was, it, it certainly is being described in the book of Revelation as we continue uh, to look at that. But it was proclaimed in the Old Testament too. The joy of the return of Jesus Christ. And so we are looking in passages in Isaiah that proclaim the joy of the kingdom of God and uh, the, the return of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for his people and the establishment of his kingdom. We were in Isaiah 25 last week and even had Gary read Isaiah 26 last week for scripture reading. Turn to Isaiah 26 today as we are going to go through that. And again, many times we think when we come to prophecy, we think of the negative aspects and the judgment and all of that. And again, there's a lot there, but there are wonderful passages of joy that God's people can uh, worship him and anticipate eternal worship in his kingdom forever. And that is one of these passages. This is one of these passages, Isaiah 26. You remember last week we talked about what God would do. And the leaders of his people would proclaim um, his kingdom that would come. And people would come to trust him from all over the world. Would come to that mountain where his kingdom would be fixed. Um, and all of death would be wiped out. And all pain and sorrow. And it was a wonderful reflection that we have waited the people will say, we have waited on him and we are seeing him with our own eyes. Certainly uh, a reflection of Jesus Christ, seeing him in that. Well, Isaiah continues this emphasis in 26, and he gives us a song that will be sung with that recognition as this group of people with, that represents the entire world, certainly the people of God, uh, the Jewish people of God, will be a major part of this, the remnant that has come together. But literally, people all over the world will come and submit to God and be ready for His kingdom. And it will be a glorious time. And this is just one of the songs that we'll be singing that's uh, included, us, included for us here in Isaiah 26. And what it's going to describe is even though God's people in the past has rejected him, he will do a transforming work in their hearts. They will turn back to him and remember his power to provide lasting peace. Many times we, even as God's people, we forget to fully depend on God for the work that he wants to do in us. And we think that once we're saved, um, 
God just kind of lets us go and we just do the best we can and we work hard and, and you know, kind of like following a diet. Well, Lord, I hope, hope that I can follow after this and do the best I can. And if I mess up once in a while, it's okay. I'm doing the best that I can with this diet and, and hopefully it, it'll have the results that I want it to have. And that's not at all how we live the Christian life. We, we can get into that rut, that, that rut of self-sufficiency, that it's all on me. God saved me. Jesus provided the salvation that I need, and now I just kind of do the best I can until he returns. No, God has to help us. We have to depend upon him. He does the work in our lives as we serve him. It's all his work. It's not our own self-sufficiency and our own efforts. Um, we, we commit to, do, to doing our part. But it's God's power and his work. And this, this song in Isaiah makes this so clear. We must not depend upon ourselves, but we must remember your name. Remember the name of God. Look at verse 1 through 4. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Father, remind us again today that all of the work that you do within us is your power and your ability. It's not our own. Uh, remind us as we see you working in our midst to marvel and to wonder and to humble ourselves before that uh, and not to pat ourselves on the back or um, be involved in any type of self-exaltation, but be reminded of what you saved us from and depend upon you to continue that work until Jesus returns. We do look forward to singing this song one day that's included in this text, Father. Help us to understand it. In the meantime, help us to live out the truths of dependence in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's people must remember his name. And God's people, when they do that, will remember his trustworthiness. And they will experience his full, his perfect peace through trust, through faith in him. So... As we have this wonderful prophecy of the kingdom that has come. And of course we know from Revelation from New Testament that this will be ushered in by Jesus Christ himself. This is one of the songs that we'll sing and Isaiah includes that for us. Look at verse 1. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. And people are now looking that have come from all over the world and they're depending upon God and their faith in Christ and they're looking upon the stability and reliability of this great city, certainly the city of Jerusalem, but a representative of the whole kingdom of God that has been ushered in. And they're marveling over that stability and reliability because you'll remember in uh, chapter 25 from last week, we had an extended description of all of those who have not trusted God, the foreign kingdoms and cities who represent those who in their own self-sufficiency tried to go their own way, 
and fortified their own cities and made their own fortresses and um, palaces and all these things. And God reduced all of that to rubble. All of the great cities of the world. We'll see in Revelation eventually what he does with the city of Babylon. The great city that everyone will put their faith and trust in. Um, that rejected Christ. And he will destroy that city as well. But God's people will look at his kingdom and his city and marvel at its strength and its power. A truly strong city that can never be toppled or reduced to rubble. Never take place. And interesting, rather than building up uh, walls with brick and rock, it says here that God's saving power is the fortress. It is the walls. It is the ramparts of this structure. It is his power, his salvation uh, that he has offered and these people have accepted. He needs no earthly walls or fortresses or cannons or machine guns or whatever. It's simply his power that provides protection for his people. And the gates are open to these people. Notice it describes in verse 2, open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. As we're seeing in Revelation, the tribulation time, that great time of judgment and tribulation is one of the main aspects of it is to refine God's people, to refine his nation so that now they can come in to his kingdom and come into the city that has been purified and cleansed. And I think... This, in a general sense, refers to all of God's people that have come from all over the world and now look forward to being a part of this city in this kingdom. But they have to be righteous. It says here, only righteous people that have committed faith, that keeps faith, committed faith, they can enter and they will be singing this song. Uh, I don't know if you've ever... Um, heard or, or followed you know in in the media when a grand opening of a new store takes place um i know that uh, that many restaurants uh, chick-fil-a is well known for this that at the start of a new restaurant i don't know if they still do this but they used to and we had a lot of friends that would do this they would um announce that they would open the doors at like six or seven in the morning and uh, people that were waiting at that time could come in and like the first 100 people would get uh, free chicken sandwiches for a year or something like this and you had people that would literally camp out the night before they would be in the news show, showing video of these people camping out and waiting because they wanted that year's worth of chicken sandwiches or whatever they were so ready and waiting for the doors to open there was anticipation and excitement well i didn't have to go through that um when i encountered that one time it was at our local dunkin donuts and my wife had been following carefully that there was a new dunkin donuts opening in kentuckook well the only one and so she said if you get there around six they're well they're opening the doors at six and you can get a year's worth of free coffee one every day well no it was one per week let's be clear but that's still a good deal so i didn't have to wait all night but i did wait um i well actually i didn't, didn't wait at all I, since we're right down the road, I literally got in my car like five minutes before seven and drove down and I was in line and there wasn't even the first hundred people received this benefit and wasn't even a hundred people there and we all received it. But then there was a certain time where people came later and they weren't able to get it because they didn't qualify. 
Um, they didn't follow the qualifications of, of the gift that was going to be given. Well, folks, I almost, it's so trivial in that illustration, but it shows the anticipation of people that are waiting for something to open. Can you imagine the anticipation of people as the gates of the kingdom of God are open? And no chicken sandwich or coffee or anything like that, but eternal life to dwell with Christ for all eternity. Now that is worth qualifying for. But the question is, how do these people qualify for this? How can they be righteous? We'll answer that question, but let's continue here in verse 3. Keep that in mind. How can these people qualify to be a part of this kingdom? What's, what needs to happen? How can they be this committed and this righteous that they're allowed in? The blessings continue. Verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The Hebrew there, actually for perfect peace, is the word repeated, shalom, shalom. You can say peace, peace. It is full peace. That's why it's described there as perfect peace. When the Bible um, repeats a word, it's trying to get your attention and it's trying as well to describe this in a sense of fullness. You imagine then the beginning of Isaiah when the angels say three times, holy, 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 that's supposed to get our attention, is the Lord God. That is, we're, we're supposed, it emphasizes that he is fully holy. Well, this emphasizes that we can have full peace in our lives. And not only this, but these people, as they get ready to enter the kingdom of God, they are going to experience eternal peace as well because they have not deviated from the faith in God their mind is stayed they will not deviate from their dependence and faith on God they've put their full reliance that person these people trust in you they fully trust in God and they will be rewarded for that that is appropriate because God, the Lord is the one person that we're supposed to put all of our faith and reliance in. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. These people will continue in this committed faith for all eternity because they've recognized that Jesus Christ, the Lord God, is the only one worthy of their dependence and their trust and their faith. And so that will continue on for an eternity. And the Lord is deserving of that because he's described here as a dependable, unmoving rock that deserves our full trust. He will provide, he will be our all that we need for all eternity. He's the everlasting rock. He's our strength. He's our fortress. He's our power. And so certainly, folks, we can trust in him. And isn't it frustrating that... For God's people today that we still struggle with that I know many times I do as well when God puts us in situations that we weren't expecting or doesn't give us all the information that we feel like we need and we we just we get anxious and we get worried 
and it takes those kinds of situations, unexpected challenges, and things where we want to know what God is doing and He doesn't tell us all the time. It takes those things to reflect and show us that we're not fully trusting in Him like we should be. And here is a picture of people that are fully trusting in Him, that are committed in their trust to Him, and so they have full peace. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that the more we trust in God and depend upon Him, the more peace we'll have. So if we're struggling today with anxiety and worry and lack of peace, then the question is, how much have, are you really trusting in God today, this morning? He is worthy of all of our trust. And that is something that we grow in. We all grow in. Jesus tells us that even the faith of a grain of a mustard seed can move mountains. He knows that it's a, it's a work in progress. But it's one that is necessary to depend upon him. And so we can read the committed faithfulness of these servants that are being allowed into this kingdom and really marvel, marvel at their faith. Wow, these, these, these folks must have an incredibly strong faith. And today, don't we do this sometimes when we see people that seem really committed and trusting in God? We can marvel at them and say, how can those people be that strong and that faithful? They must, they must really be um, amazing, strong people to be able to trust an unseen, untouchable God in that way and we tend to marvel at the people but that misses the point folks and that misses the point of this passage we don't marvel at the people but we marvel at the god that transformed these people to trust and to have faith in this way we wonder that man that has rebelled against god can be transformed as to have this kind of faith that's the amazing thing in this passage not the amazing of the particular character of the individual, but the character of our God that can transform rebels into people that can have this kind of faith and so experience his perfect peace. How does that happen? How does that transformation take place? I want that kind of faith. Lord, transform me. Well, he's going to continue to describe this. He's going to describe the power of God as the one who humbles those that are self-sufficient and proud. In their seemingly high, impregnable fortresses that they have built, and man today rejects God and he builds, builds his own version of security and protection. And Isaiah reminds us here in this psalm that those people will be humbled, that their strong towers, whatever they're trusting in besides God, will be destroyed and brought low. Verse 5, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height. Those that have had in self-sufficiency have tried to build their own protection. That idea of height is the idea of pride and arrogance. The lofty, the proud city. That city, God will lay low. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. And he casts it to the dust. So here we have the picture. What, however we're transformed to have this faith in God, it's not through our own power or self-reliance or pride. No, God will um, tear that and destroy that kind of security. And look at what he will allow then. He tears down 
the strongholds of the proud and grinds them literally to be to dust and look at those who will trod over that dust verse 6 the foot tramples it the feet of the poor the steps of the needy the helpless the people that can't transform themselves the people that can't that are weak that struggle these are the people that will trample in the dust of those proud arrogant strong people no it doesn't this type of transformation in faith doesn't come from man's working this up by himself it can't come from dependence upon man it can't come from dependence on politicians or world rulers or military might all of that will crumble and the poor and needy will trample over it in the dust it's the poor and the needy that will receive full peace through trust in their all-powerful God. But they'll also be made righteous through their trust in our God. And here now we turn really for a few moments from this picture of those that are looking at this future kingdom. And now Isaiah addresses um, the situation of the here and now. Before one day, those people will be refined by God and they'll be able to enter into the kingdom. But now let's make it real practical to the here and now today, to us. He says, the path, verse 7, of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. And here he's describing the fact that God's people who trust in him that he will clear the way forward from them. Do you ever feel like in your life that you have obstacles that can't be uh, moved and hindrances and even the, the sinful brokenness of our world seems like a hindrance to be able to serve God effectively and to be able to serve him in the way that we want. <clears throat> and it's frustrating and we feel totally helpless to live a life for God. And Isaiah reminds us that continue to wait, continue to trust in God. At the right time, the path of the righteous will be made clear. It means clearing out the rubble so that God's people can walk carefully and knowingly in the way that he wants them to know. God will clear the path for us, uh, even in our ministry here, and even in this time of the tumult upon the earth with so much wickedness and evil going on, God for his people will clear and make the path clear that he wants us to tread to be a witness for his kingdom and for, for Jesus Christ. But we must wait on him. And that's what's described in verse 8. We must wait on God to make the path clear and wait on him to do the work in us. Verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. No matter where we find ourselves in our Christian life, if we want answers from God and we want direction, sometimes, folks, he just says, wait. Trust in me. Let me, through the situations and even in these judgments that I may bring, I'm refining you. I'm helping you. You remember me. Remember the title of this message. We remember your name. Remember our Lord. 
and grow in Him and know His Word. Even as we're seeing in Sunday school, behold your God. What's the purpose of this is to know God better so that we can seek Him and have a closer relationship with Him. Literally, that He can be the desire of our soul. God's people need to meditate on Him more and more and understand Him better and they will begin to long after Him and desire Him more. And then God says in time, I will lead you forward. I think we all struggle with varying degrees of this. Even as we read this, the Lord is the desire of my soul. And look what He continues to describe in verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. And when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness we can be convicted by that do i yearn after the lord that much am i literally when i wake up at night am i thinking of him now that could also be and i think there's a picture of this as well that we wake up in the night with anxiety and worry and we remember god and he gives us peace that's a beautiful picture there and we yearn for him lord take away these worries and concerns i need you I call out for you. I'm helpless. And the recognition of our helplessness as the poor and needy makes God's salvation even all the more sweet. Right, folks? My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. How do we seek after Him today? We read His Word. We take it seriously. We seek to know Him through His Word better. Are you, are you committedly even this week in your, in your life right now, are you regularly reading God's Word and seeking Him? Or has your relationship kind of cooled and grown cold and maybe you're getting more anxious and worried because you haven't been reading, reading God's Word and seeking after Him in the way that we should? The more we stoke the flames with God's Word and learn more about God, the more our desire for Him will increase. God does allow difficult things into our lives. He says the judgments are in the earth, but God has a purpose for them. Here, Isaiah points out that God brings judgment so the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. And isn't that the intent for the great tribulation that we've talked about? The intent of that is to drive people back to God, to Christ, and to His own people, the people of Israel, back to Him. So God just doesn't pronounce heavy judgment and difficulties on us without a purpose, but His purpose is to turn us back to Him and seek His righteousness and realize that we can't produce a righteousness of our own. We're not capable of being good people. But through the judgments and the tribulations and the trials He allows into our lives as we're waiting on Him, we learn to trust in His righteousness. Of course, the New Testament makes that even clearer, fills out the picture that that's Christ's righteousness. Jesus earned that righteousness by fully obeying his Father's commandments and law. And he provides that righteousness for those that trust in him. That whole theme of trust and faith is so much more um, detailed and fleshed out in the New Testament. It's faith in Christ that provides us righteousness. But God has to use difficult things to point us to Him. And God's people recognize that and they remember Him and seek Him. 
we will experience His righteousness ultimately through what Christ has done. Does your inner man long for God? Are you willing to patiently endure because you know God will make it right in the end? And we know that because this really is a song of the people that have made it to the end through the power of God in their lives, and now they get to experience Him for all eternity. But Isaiah in the midst of that says, for you in the here and now, you wait, you be patient. That time's coming, but you wait and continue on in your relationship with Him and be faithful. God's people will remember as well that He is the one that provides for them. And they will recognize His ability to end their spiritual blindness. Here, um, Isaiah makes it clear and the people recognize the reality of man's brokenness and that truly He is a spiritual dullard and a rebel. And... So for us to read that first, that, that back to that question I asked at the beginning, how can man be that faithful and be righteous to be able to enter into God's kingdom? And here Isaiah reminds us, well, man can't. He's not able to. And maybe even it makes it even more perplexing for those who do not know the truths that we're going through here. Um, verse 12 though or verse I'm sorry verse 10 if favor is shown to the wicked he does not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord O Lord your hand is lifted up but they do not see it here's the reality of sinful man that God can show him grace and favor the common grace that he shows mankind throughout the whole world and they totally miss it. And they have no appreciation for His holiness or righteousness or a desire to follow after His right ways because of the grace that He's shown to them. They totally are spiritually blind to His work. In the land of uprightness, that has the idea of a land, if a land could be perfect and follow after God's ways and God would be blessing them, um, and, and let's well, not perfect, but a um, situation where God is blessing because people are following after him, the wicked man will still pursue wickedness. He'll still cheat and deceive. He won't learn from what God is doing. He doesn't see the majestic, powerful work of God. He's totally blind to it. Verse 11, that idea of, O Lord, your hand is lifted up as the hand of the Lord is lifted up to do great things for his people. And man can't see it at all. Well, how can such a one then be described at the beginning of this chapter as being righteous and faithful? If we're all this spiritually dull. Well, he's going to continue here to point out that something will happen in the end of verse 11 that will cause people to see. Let them, seal ze let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. Men are spiritually inept um, and broken. And yet God's people can still pray that through God's mighty power and work that somehow God will help them to see through his judgments, to see the truth of who he is. But that's something, verse 12, that man cannot work up. 
It has to be from God. Even, it even takes the full power of God for us to see how spiritually blind we really are. Verse 12, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all of our works. And this is points out that God's people will recognize his power to give them victory. They'll realize his need for full dependence. What this verse is saying is that God provides all that we need to be righteous and to be faithful. There's nothing that we do in our own strength that deserves credit or that deserves recognition. How can people be made righteous and be fully committed in faith to enter into the kingdom? It has to be the work of God. There's nothing that we can do. We're totally inept to be able to do that kind of work, to work that up within us. It has to be entirely of God. He will give us the, this restful, perfect peace that we're talking about. He will do all for us that we can be righteous and we can be faithful. It's His work. It's not anything that we do. We recognize His ability to end our spiritual blindness and His ability to give us victory. Don't put your trust in anything else. Verse 13, O Lord our God, other lords beside You have ruled over us, but Your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. Earthly rulers come and go. Many times they're praised or many times they're scorned and pretty soon forgotten, right? Earthly leaders rise, they fall, and they die. And in their spirit, their, what's left, they continue on, but in a spirit, they're mere wisps of what they were as powerful people. And it describes here that they live on, but not on this earth. They've literally been wiped off the earth and out of our memories entirely. You hear today stories about um, grade school children that can't even remember some of the most historical, famous people in our country's history. Um, and as the education, um, in a general sense in our country, becomes more and more weakened, um, and not as strong and as helpful as it used to be. Uh, you, you hear stories of children that don't even know the basics of how the country was started and all of these things. And my point is, is not to lament that this morning, but my point is to make it clear that even the most important people who have done important things in our country and in other countries and in the world, they're easily forgotten. Right? Um, they will have their time in world history. You think of even the Pharaoh that uh, persecuted God's people in Egypt. We don't even know for sure today in history who, which Pharaoh it was. We're still kind of uncertain about that. We don't even know his name today. It really doesn't mean that much to us except for the fact that he's a picture of the persecution that will come upon God's people and that God will give deliverance to his people. But it is true that these strong rulers, these people that we put so much concern into, they literally live for a moment. And God, however, verse 15, is eternal. 
and he will accomplish lasting things. Like as described here, one day expanding Israel to its full border and even beyond. Look at this. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. And this describes the future expectation of God's people uh, in a way that has never been accomplished. Even in Joshua's day, as much of the land as they conquered and the people came in and lived in that, they still did not realize the full potential of where God wanted them to be and the extent of the borders and the land that God had given them. God's people have never recognized that before. I've never experienced that in a full way. But there will come a day when his kingdom comes that they will experience the full borders and even beyond God will do a lasting work and His power will do something that will be eternal. His eternal kingdom will be established and these people will look on it now and be amazed. Well, how, in the end, as we finish up here, how does God accomplish all this? How does God prepare a spiritually blind people, give them eyes to see, enable them to trust and put their faith in Him, and then give them new life that will provide them, enter, make them righteous, and give them that faith and commitment that will prepare them, that will allow them to enter the kingdom. We're going to skip ahead to verse 19. We don't have time for the whole passage this morning. But God's incredible eternal work is now in a most significant way described a magnificent eternal work, and this is that God will give his people new life so that they can be righteous and they can be ready for his kingdom. Verse 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the death. How can God's people at the time of his kingdom be so committed and faithful? How can we be committed and faithful to him today? Because, folks, he provides us new life. Spiritual and one day physical new life. And here is the prophecy that we can experience the fulfillment of even today. He renews his people. The dead shall live, the physical dead, but also the spiritual dead that he described that have no uh, comprehension of God. He will give them new life so that they can see. They shall rise. They that dwell in the dust will be able to worship and sing praises to him forever, but it's God's work. Here in the New Testament, we find out that it is the work of Jesus Christ, again, that provides us this righteousness because of his resurrection. Those that put their faith and trust in him will be prepared for that new kingdom and to praise him and sing this song forever. It is entirely God's work. It's nothing that we can do. The Lord changes that blind sinners are able to wait on him and remain faithful to the end. Transformative work is all on his end. It's all his own. We take no credit, but we fully praise him for this marvelous work. I love the way that it's described at the end of this verse. For your due. What is due? It's water. Is there one that came and described in the book of John as the water of life? He's a dew of light. 
Is there one that is described again in the New Testament as the light of the world? I think here again, another picture of Christ. He will provide us resurrected life. He will enable us to serve him. He will give us his righteousness. And because of what Jesus will accomplish, we can be ready and waiting for that kingdom and enter in and enjoy him for all eternity. You see, folks, God is fully capable of transforming spiritually dead people and then causing them to remember him and turn to him in faith and trust. And he can enable his people today, all of us, to stay faithful and be fruitful in our ministry through dependence on his strength. So we need to trust in him and ask him to help us to follow him more faithfully and seek him more devotedly. And God will work that important work in our lives as we depend upon him. And we can enjoy eternal life forever because of the new resurrected life that he offers to his people. It's as good as done. It will take place one day. Don't be anxious and afraid, but look forward to this glorious day. Look forward to be able to sing this song together in glorious praise for the one who will have accomplished it all, our resurrected Savior. Father, help us to remember your name on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We get so distracted and anxious and worried. And yet here we have this, again, this wonderful picture of what you're going to do one day and a description of the work that you can do in our lives right now. New life is ours um, to apprehend through faith in Christ. And we will then experience all the blessings and the fulfillment of that sometime in the future as is described here as well. So help us to depend upon you, depend upon Christ, to do that great work that we can today and throughout this week give you committed, faithful service, wait on you, and um, serve you faithfully until Jesus returns. We need your help for this, as we've said. And we ask for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.